Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that a comfort to your soul to know that you're not alone? That he's always with us. Hallelujah. No matter what we're going through. Amen. Sometimes we may feel like we are alone. Amen. There may not be other people around us or with us. But we know that God is with us. Right? I know we personify him as standing next to us or behind us or before us. But the Bible says he's inside of us. Right? His spirit lives inside of us. Amen. He can't go anywhere, right? He's inside of us. We don't got to worry about him running off. Amen. As long as we remain in him, he will remain in us. Amen. And that enables us to have the victory, right? Amen. We, it's not our battle. It's God's battle. Amen. We're kind of caught in the middle, but we're on the winning side, right? If we just hang in here, hold on. Amen. Keep our eyes looking up to Jesus. Everything's going to be fine. We'll see it through. Amen. And we will, amen, give him the praise. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to worship together. Amen. Uh, it's always great just to worship the Lord. Get it to unplug from this world or whatever's happening. Amen. Plug into the kingdom of God and the body of Christ and just get connected and refreshed in his presence. Nothing like it. Amen. As, um, our, the kids' church can be dismissed. We've got uh, tomorrow night, remember, our late night prayer meeting. Amen. Be beginning at 9 uh, p.m. Amen. Please bring some uh, finger food or drinks or something to sustain yourself and some others uh, through, the, uh, through the night and however long uh, we're here until God is done with what he wants to do, right? Amen. So remember that, and obviously coming up uh, next weekend is uh, rummage sale. So we'll, uh, tomorrow night we pack out that room with food, and after that we start packing it out with treasures. All right? Amen, looking forward to that. It's always great being a part of the kingdom of God, being involved, amen, in whatever God is doing. Amen. Uh, as we're saying, we go to the word of the Lord tonight. Uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 9 and 10. Um, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're on part two tonight of the kingdom. Amen. Turn to a few people, wave at them, shake their hands, or, and you may be seated. Man, we began this series last week looking into the Word of God um, and into this Word that we so frequently hear and uh, so frequently say, and the word, the word is kingdom. And when we defined it last week and began uh, looking into the Bible of where we see evidence of it and characteristics of the kingdom, but when this Word is used... It means that there is a king, because in order to be a kingdom, there has to be a king. A, a ruler that has dominion and authority in their kingdom, in their realm, whatever borders or territory it, it extends to, that is the, the kingdom. And in the kingdom, the, the will of the king is accomplished. 
without question, without delay, without fail, without feedback, without uh, griping or complaining in the kingdom, what the king says is done. And, and so we, we, we saw God do something special and unique in this realm of earth, as we call it. He decided that he, God, was going to rule on the earth through a human. And as we talked about last week, establishing a theocracy where God is in, in control. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is present on the earth when, when man submits and surrenders to the king and uh, enacts the, the will of the king. And we saw this happening with Adam and Eve in the very beginning as God established everything in the beginning. But we finished last week uh, seeing Adam and Eve packing their bags, and leaving Eden, leaving the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because they disobeyed the king's orders. And in the kingdom of heaven, disobedience and defiance has no place. And so you got to go. We see evidence of this even happened earlier uh, when Lucifer uh, exalted himself above the, the throne of God and said, I shall be like him, I shall be like the Holy One. And what happened? That's you, you can't do that in the kingdom of God. Maybe in some other kingdom, but you can't do that in God's kingdom. And so what happened? He got kicked out like lightning. He fell to the earth. And so uh, disobedience and defiance has no place in the kingdom of God. And so when Adam disobeyed and listened to the words of creation, the serpent, rather than the words of the Creator, Amen. He lost out. Humans lost the seat of dominion and authority that God had set up here on the earth. And who gained access to that seat was Satan. Satan is called, referred to as the prince of this world, the prince of devils, the prince of the power of the air. But notice that he is only referred to as prince. And what is a prince? A prince is a position of power, but a prince is no king. A prince is not a king. A prince may be waiting in line to be a king, but the prince is not the king. A prince wants to be king, but until the prince is enthroned and given the crown, he is still just a prince. And so why do people listen and believe the prince of this world when they can go to the king? When they can go to the throne of Almighty God and ask the king what he thinks about what this prince said. And if the prince of this world's lips are moving, then he's lying. And so why would somebody listen to the prince when they can listen to the king? To listen to the words of the prince and ignore the words of the king that can get you in real trouble. As we saw precisely with Adam and Eve, they started listening to the prince. He wasn't necessarily the prince of this world yet. He was, he was on his campaign to take over. And uh, as soon as they listened and obeyed the, him, he became the prince of this world. And so it's not like that we don't have access to the throne of God. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly, 
unto the throne of grace. And so we have been given permission to storm into the throne room of God and bring our situation to him, bring our problem, bring our, our hurt, bring our prayers to him, bring whatever it is that we have. We have access. We've been given the key to the door to go talk to the king. And so we should take our problems to the king and not listen to anybody else, especially if they're called prince of this world. Because we'll just go to the higher power. Princes have power, but not as much power as a king. And so now Satan has dominion and authority in this realm uh, called earth. But he's still just a prince. Which means there is still uh, somebody else in control of it all. The king is in control of everything. And so, and so now the earth suffers under uh, Satan's rulership. In the kingdom of darkness. And so Satan gets, gets to sit on this throne of authority over the earth. And so what does he do? He brings in his kingdom. Uh, this is my domain now. And, and uh, the kingdom of darkness comes with me. And the, the third of the angels that fell with him. Uh, guess what? They all move in. Those neighbors he didn't like. Guess what? Satan moved in. And he hasn't left yet. Uh, and, and so Satan now has dominion and authority in this realm of the earth. But... Uh, before Satan got comfortable in his newly acquired seat, the king makes a declaration. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That woman over there that you just deceived, Satan, there is coming from her a, a seed, coming from her seed, a man that will come and that will take you off your throne. So don't get too comfortable, Satan, on that throne because I, I'm making a declaration that through that woman's seed, somebody's going to come and is going to show up to you and is going to crush your head. You may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so just as Adam and Eve were, were packing their bags with their heads hanging low, thinking that all hope was lost and what future do their descendants have, God gives them some hope that one of their descendants will take back that throne and, and give Satan the beating of his life, and then the kingdom of heaven will once again be present on the earth. And so, and so until that day happens, our prayer is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because we're still suffering, and the earth is still suffering and suffering and groaning under the kingdom of darkness. And so once the kingdom of heaven uh, leaves earth, uh, mankind descends into the depths of depravity rather quickly. Just two chapters later, God has to flood the whole world. A lot can happen in two chapters. Two chapters later, God has to flood the whole world because of the amount of wickedness in the earth. The Bible says every thought was evil uh, and wicked, and so uh, God has to flood the earth, but God keeps his promise. Remember the promise that there's coming a man who's going to take care of it all. Uh, God keeps his promise of the coming, the coming Satan crusher by, by, by saving Noah and his family, which brings us to all the way up to Genesis 12, and we see the king speak to a man named Abram. And what does he tell him? He says, get out of your father's house and go to an unknown, 
unknown location. And this might seem a bit random. Uh, you open up Genesis 12 and it just this is just what's happening. But in order to understand the call of Abram, we have to understand the previous chapter, Genesis 11. And what happened in Genesis 11, shortly after the flood, we see mankind disobeying God's commands. They're not dispersing in the earth. Uh, they're replenishing and filling the earth, but they're not going and, uh, and they're staying in one location. They're, they're centralizing in one place. And they're building a tower into the heavens called the Tower of Babel. Now, the word Babel means confusion. That's a good sign there what that is. But, and, even, and Babel would go on to grow up to become Babylon. Uh, and so uh, Babylon is based in confusion. And, but who started, who started Babel? Genesis tells us of the man who did. Genesis 10 and 8. And, and Cush began Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said that even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And so that's, Genesis is telling us that there's this, there was a popular saying, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. That was became a popular saying back then. But so two points of clarification real quick. If we uh, look at verse 9, and it says, uh, if we change the word before, Mighty hunter before the Lord. Change the word before. Change that to against. And we'll have a better understanding of the context of what's happening here. Uh, and so Nimrod was the mighty hunter against the Lord. Uh, and so mighty hunter was not in reference to hunting deer, although he probably was uh, a, a good hunter. Obviously it says he was. Uh, but instead... Think of it more like this, a trapper of men by stratagem and by force. Nimrod, the hunter, become, became a tyrant, a powerful hunter of men. This course of life uh, gave occasion to the proverb, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord which immortalized not his skill in hunting animals, but his success in hunting men in the, in, in the establishment of an imperial kingdom by tyranny and with power. So Nimrod's kingdom was a complete anarchy against God, absolute defiance against anything godly, because Nimrod's name literally means rebellion. Revolt. And so what did he do? He said, we will build ourselves a tower into the heavens. We will make our na a name for ourselves, and we will revolt and storm the gates of heaven. This is Nimrod. And so the Tower of Babel was man's answer to the flood. We will live how we want to live. 
irregardless of what God thinks, if God hates sin, who cares, we want to do it, we're going to make a way so we can do whatever we want and we can escape any kind of judgment. If God wants to flood the earth again, that's okay. We're still going to live our sinful life because we'll just climb to the top of the tower and escape the floods, the flood waters. And so this is what is going on. Nimrod was not a good man. His view of Nimrod and his deeds is favored by the Eastern legend, which not only makes him the builder of the Tower of Babel, which was to reach heaven, but also placed him uh, among the constellations of heaven as a heaven-storming giant who was chained by God in consequence. That's what his, his reputation was. He was, just, he was against God, and he was uh, going after anything godly. And so Nimrod is the first Antichrist, if you will. He was in charge of the whole world pretty much, and it all came together, and he was the one who uh, was in charge. Uh, This anti-God, rebellious spirit can be traced back to Babylon and even further back to Babel. Because we we have no uh, massive earth uh, destruction since the flood, and right after the flood, Babel started. And so that's as far back, I guess, we can we go uh, without going through the bloodline of, of, of Noah. Uh, and so everything's traced back to Babel, the start of the new world, and it was started in revolt and rebellion against God's commands. And so tradition and, and research has it, extra biblical research is not found in the Bible, but according to some people who researched and Spent a lot of time digging in. This is what they say. Uh, they say that Nimrod married a woman named Samarimus. And they had a child named Tamus. Tamus was killed by a wild animal, but was miraculously brought back to life. And so you can imagine what happened when somebody was brought back to life 4,000 years ago. Samarimus and Tamus... The mother and child, the image of a mother holding her son, they were then worshipped as gods. You can imagine, somebody dies, they die. They get back up, guess what? Mankind worships worships them as a god because nobody else can do that. Uh, And so uh, they say Samarimus and Tamus were worshipped. This mother and child were worshipped. And uh, if you want the whole world to worship you as a god, all you got to do is to die and to come back to life. We'll try it. We'll see what happens. And and so how do you think the Antichrist is going to gain control over the whole world in the end of time? He will be killed and Satan will bring him back to life as Revelation 13 talks about. And what does it say? The whole world will marvel and wonder and worship this man saying, Who is like the beast? Who who can make war against him? He was killed and he's brought back to life. I mean, what what are we going to do? How can you make war? How can you kill him? He was just dead. And so the, then, then the false prophet comes and teams up with him and pulls down fire from sky. I mean... What what are you going to argue with now? The guy who was just resurrected and now this guy is pulling down fire from heaven. You can see why the whole world is going to bow to the false prophet and and, uh, the Antichrist uh, and take his mark and do what he says because he becomes a god. 
you get killed and uh, raised to life again, you become a god in this world. And so Samarimus is worshipped as the queen of heaven, the queen of the universe. And I would imagine that in Nimrod's plans for Babel, uh, his family would be living at the top of the tower. I mean, why would he, why would he live at the bottom? We're living at the top. I mean, we're kings, we're, we're gods. If there's a flood, my family's not dying, everyone else is. Uh, and so I would imagine he would be there. They're worshipped as gods, Samarimus and Tamus. Uh, and so this is all going on at Babel. They're not worshipping God. They're not doing anything God had commanded them to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They, they were worshipping this, this mother and child, this pagan system. And, and so what happened at Babel is that God came down and he confused the language. And what happened, mankind was scattered all over the earth, all across the earth. We see Genesis 10 and 10 continuing talking about uh, Nimrod. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Ashur and built Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Calah. And it goes on to continue. Uh, it, it, it's, it's talking about the expansion out from Babel came uh, basically all the cities and, and the kingdoms of this world. And especially after God confounded the language there, they, everybody scattered. Uh, and so uh, everyone was scattered all over the world. And so what religious system did they take with them? Whatever they did in Babel, now they're, now they're across the world in Asia. What do they, what do they know to worship? This, this uh, Samarimus and Temus, or this mother and child, that's, that's the God that they know, that's the God they worshiped. And so every nation under heaven was started with this pagan worship as it was scattered. And so the name of the mother and son are different because the language has changed, but the same uh, Antichrist spirit is still the same. It all, it's all dates back and ties back to Babel, uh, the place of confusion and revolt. In Assyria... The mother, name, mother was named Ishtar, and the son was named Tammuz. Phoenicia, the mother was named Astarte or Ashtoreth, and the son was named Baal. In Egypt, the mother was named Isis, and the son is named Osiris. Greece, then the mother is Aphrodite, and the son is Eros. Rome, the mother is Venus, and the son is Cupid. Asia, uh, the mother is Cybele, and the son is Decius. In India, this mother is Isi, and the uh, and the the son is Aswara. And hold on for your hold on to your seat right here. But in Roman Catholicism, the mother is named Mary, and the son is named Jesus. The Mary and Jesus in Roman Catholicism is not the Mary and Jesus in the Bible. Because in Catholicism, isn't Mary worshipped? Isn't she worshipped as a god? Is not she prayed to more than Jesus? Is not Mary called the queen of heaven? The queen of the universe? That's not, that's not biblical. That dates back to Babel and this mother-child system. And so that's not the Mary that you and I know of in Scripture, but that mother-child worship is satanic, and it's traced all the way back to Babel, and it's a part of every pagan culture, and even it and even made its way into Israel. Jeremiah 7, 16, Therefore 
he, God's talking to Jeremiah the prophet. Therefore, pray not for thou, uh, thou for this people. Don't pray for these people, your own people. Neither lift up cry nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession for them, for I will not hear you. Seest thou not that they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the woman, uh, women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto their God, other gods that they may provoke me to anger. This mother-child, uh, they're worshiping the queen of heaven. And the poor kids are gathering the wood. What's going to happen? The kids are getting burned alive and worshiped to, to these false gods. Jeremiah 44. As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us, these are the men of, of Israel talking to Jeremiah. The word that you spoke to us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her. We're not worshiping Yahweh. We're worshiping the queen of heaven. These are Jewish people. These are Israelites saying this. And so, and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for then had we plenty of victuals and, and were well and saw no evil. We want to talk about getting God mad. Ezekiel experiences this, 8.13, he said unto me, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which uh, was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Who is Tammuz? The, the son in Assyria. They weren't weeping for, for Jehovah. They weren't weeping for the word of, of God. They were weeping for Tammuz's child. And then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see even greater abominations than these. This Babylonian rebellious worship infuriated God because the nation of Israel was not started like all these other nations. It was not started with this mother-child cultic worship where they, where they would worship these things. And yet, somehow, it made its way into the streets of Israel. It made God really mad. Every nation has been corrupted. With this Babylonian perverted worship, so, so God can't use any of these nations to bring his kingdom to the earth because they're all corrupted. They're all perverted because they're all at Babel and they all were dispersed and they all took that, that, that cultic uh, uh, pagan worship with them. And so this is why we get to Genesis 12 and God told Abram to leave. Leave everything. Leave your father's house. His father wasn't a worshiper of Jehovah. His father, the land of Ur, not too far from Babylon, uh, Babel, uh, they worship pagans. They worship gods, false gods. And so God says, you need to come out from that system. You need to come out from, uh, from the, your family and all that. Leave everything and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Uh, because I, I've got to start from scratch. 
and I got to build a nation of my own that is not corrupted with this with this pagan worship in their minds and their and their and their hearts but I'm going to call a man out of all of that I'm going to clean him up and I'm going to start fresh with one man and one woman just like I did in the beginning with Adam and Eve all I need is one man and one woman to start the to to usher in the kingdom of God and so uh, he calls him out of there and what does he say I will make of thee a great nation. And so the groundwork for the kingdom of heaven to come is being laid right here with Abram. I will bless thee, I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curses thee. And in all uh, and thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What is that referring to? The one that's going to come and bring in the kingdom of God, bring, bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. That way the whole earth is going to be blessed. And, and so the kingdom of heaven is going to be on earth again, and that is how we are all blessed. When mankind and creation get to live and abide in the kingdom of heaven here on earth again as it was in the very beginning. And now in Genesis 12 we find out where this man, this, this seed of the woman, the one who will usher in the kingdom of heaven, now we, we know where he will come from, what lineage he's from, and it is through this man named Abram. And so the promise of the kingdom coming and returning to the earth comes through Abraham. And Genesis 15 he said unto him, I am the Lord, God said unto him, I, unto Abram, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, I, I don't know how this happened, but if you just heard a, a loud voice from the thundering from the sky and he's talking to the clouds and the clouds are talking back, that seemed like it would be good enough for me. Like, you just start hearing something, and you're conversing with God. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. But Abram says, How's this, how, how am I going to know this is going to happen? Could it be that maybe there's just a loud voice from heaven saying what he's going to do? But and he said unto him, God said unto Abram, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and he divided them in the midst. He cut them in half. He laid each piece against the other, but the birds he divided not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so what's going on here? Abram said to God, all of this sounds really great, but how do I know for sure that you're going to do what you said you're going to do? What Abram was talking about was he wanted some kind of formal contract here. Uh, making a covenant, a treaty, or a contract. And, and, and if God said to you, I'm going to make a nation from you, and your star and your sea will be as the stars of the sky and the seas of the earth, and I'll bless you and I'll curse them that curse you. If, if God told you that, you would probably say, where do I sign? Sounds good. Where do I sign? And so what God told Abram to do was nothing 
unique or nothing different or nothing so far out. It wasn't uncommon. But what was going on here was the splitting of the animals was common practice back then. When two parties would come together uh, to form some kind of agreement, formal contract, they didn't have, you know, lawyers, $600 an hour lawyers writing up something uh, that your, your teenager can write up. Uh, they, they didn't have lawyers back then. What they did, they came together and uh, to form an agreement, uh, agreement or covenant with one another, or a treaty, whatever it was, a formal uh, agreement. They would cut these animals in half and they would lay them on each side. And the terms of the covenant were talked about and they were agreed upon. And then both parties would walk through the pathway. They would walk, they would pass through the, 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 the dead animals with uh, half on this side and half on this side. And they would walk through the dead animals. And when they did that, they were saying, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, if I don't hold up my part of the contract, I will become like these animals. Uh, if I default on my contractual agreement, then you can hunt me down and you can cut me in half like this animal right here. That's what they did when they both passed through. This is like shaking of the hand, getting a notary stamp, like this is legit. Uh, and so this is the way they did it back then. They would pass through it. If, uh, Needless to say, People took contracts and covenants very seriously back then. There's no bankruptcy court, no filing chapter 7 or 11, no need to waste your time with that stuff. The creditor just grabbed his sword and he settled his debt one way or the other. And so Abram knew what was going on when God started telling him, hey, get all these things, cut them in half. Abram was, he was a businessman, he's made deals, he talked with kings, and he made all these exchanges, and he, he understood what was going on, and so uh, that is why the Bible tells us that Abram was driving away the vultures that came down to, to, start, to start picking off on these dead bodies. The Bible says Abram drove them away, because he knew this was a serious thing. A ceremony, a signing of the covenant is getting ready to happen, and so Covenant business is serious stuff. If only the people of God and people of today took covenant serious, covenant living as serious as Abram did. There would be a lot less, lot more people committed to righteousness and faithfulness. Uh, but you see, people today wanna, want they want God to uphold his part of the contract by, by keeping us from hell and, and taking us to heaven with them. But, but God has a hard time with people upholding their end of the contract. Come out from among them and be separate and, and touch not the unclean thing. People have a hard time doing that, but, but they sure want God to uphold his part of the deal. Get me out of here, save me from hell, take me to heaven, but come out from among them and be separate and live, live a life for me. I don't know, God. Asking a lot here. Got lots of friends, I'm popular, and, uh, you know, I, I got to give up a lot to uphold my part of the deal. How about you just make good on your part and I'll just... Do what I can. Don't be conformed to this world. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is 
our reasonable service, as Paul says in Romans 12, uh, our reasonable service. He's saying that's the least that we can do, folks, is present our bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't fall into the ways of this world. The very least that we can do is to come out and be separate and live our life unto God. That's the least that we can do. And still people have a hard time, get frustrated. Get upset with a pastor over standards or holy living or trying to find shortcuts around things or trying to get by with doing the least possible. But yet we don't want God doing that, do we? Imagine if God God upheld his end like we upheld our end. And so, uh, and you see God express his frustration with this through Paul. The New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. What's going on here is people are not upholding their end of the deal. Therefore, many people are sick and, uh, are, and are weak, and many people are uh, went to sleep for a long time. Uh, and so thankfully... God's not pulling out his sword and hunting us down like they did back in Abraham's day because uh, we're passing through the covenant and, and signing our names to, to live this life and, and making commitments and promises to God. Thank God for his grace and mercy today that he, he washes away our sins and our, our faults and our failures, our mistakes, that, that we have grace that God withholds his judgment for a while so that we can... Come to our senses and, and understand, hey, we're, we're, we're erring from our ways and we need to get back in line with what God wants us to do. Musicians, if you'd come. And so a covenant signing ceremony is, is going on here. Genesis 15. It's getting ready to take place. <clears throat> God and Abraham, both parties. God saying, I'm giving you this land, Abram, to you and your seed and your uh, I'm going to bless you and, and curse them that curse you, all those things. These is, those are covenant talk. I'm going to do this for you. Uh, and so there, there we are. Abram cut up all these, th- these carcasses, laid them out, just read it just like God asked to, him to. And the ceremony, the signing is getting ready to take place. Abram's probably sweating uh, because, you know, God's on the other end and maybe he doesn't realize Maybe he does, that God's going to uphold his end. But something happens, Genesis 15, 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And so there Abram was, standing there, ready for this signing, this commencement of the ceremony, this covenant to take place. He's ready to take his turn to to walk through the animals. But then a deep sleep fell on him. Oh, come on, Abram. I mean, people use that excuse today. And a deep sleep fell on you back then. It was just you and God out there in the wilderness, and you did all this work. And just happened to fall asleep when it's your turn to pass through the animals, huh? And so let me explain what happened in the 2021 version translation. Abram was standing there ready for his turn. This is a contract deal. 
I've been, uh, I've done these before. I understand what's going. Get ready to happen. And so Abram was standing there waiting for his turn. And God comes up behind him, knocks him upside the head. Boom. Abram's knocked out cold. Falls to the ground. What does it say? A deep sleep came on. That He got knocked out. Abram got knocked out. Uh, and then look at verse 17. It came to pass that when the sun went down, we were told that would happen to Abram, and it was dark. Remember, a darkness came upon Abram, and so... And it was dark, boom, Abram's knocked out. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Only one party passed through those animals that day. Only one one party passed through that covenant that day. Abram never got to because suddenly he just got knocked out. He was standing there in line, ready to do his part, being committed to this. And what happened, he just, boom, the lights went out. Abram got knocked out, which means God was the only one who passed through those animals. That means that if God doesn't uphold his part, if he does not make a nation out of Abram, if he does not bless him, if he does not bless his seed, if he does not make Abram's name great, then God will be cut in half and killed just like those animals because he's the only one that passed through. Abram didn't make it because he got knocked out. And so what does Abram have to do to get the benefits of this covenant? What does Abram have to do to get the land and the seed and the blessing? Abram doesn't have to do anything because he didn't pass through. He's not bound by this covenant. Only one party passed through it, and that was God, which then makes it a one-sided deal. That means it's unconditional on God's end. That means God says, "Uh, Abram, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. It doesn't matter what your seed does. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to pass through this all by myself. I'm going to knock you out so you don't pass through it. I'm going to pass through it. And that means I'm the only one on the hook now. I'm the only one that that has to fulfill the covenant promise. And the promise is that I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to bless you. Uh, It's it's a one-sided deal. And it is unconditional. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say. I made this deal with myself. And that means it's going to happen. Because if it doesn't happen, then I am going to be like these animals. What does is, what is the, the Bible say? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. And, and so Abram was there ready to do his part, but God says, no, Abram, you're not going to be a part of this deal because this deal that I'm making with you, this deal is unconditional. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. I'm making my, I'm going to come good on my word. I'm going to fulfill my promises, and I'm going to swear by myself because there's no other greater name. I'm going to pass through. I'm not going to let you pass through this deal, and maybe you fall or mess up or miss, make a mistake. No, I'm just going through by myself, and I'll close the deal. I'll seal the deal. It's one-sided. Unconditional means it's one-sided. 
Unconditional love means it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say. Unconditional love says I love you. I forgive you. It doesn't matter how mean you are to me. Unconditional is one-sided. It doesn't matter. You can't break my love. You can't break my deal. You can't break my word because it's, it's one-sided. Only one party passed through the, that, those, those animals that night, and it was God himself. You stand with me tonight. And so in Genesis 12, God tells Abram, I will give you this land. I will give you this land to you, your seed, your, your future. But the phrase, I will give, what tense is that? It's a future tense. I will give it. It hasn't happened yet, has it? When you say, I will, I will bless you, it hasn't happened. It's future. At some point, it's going to happen. And so Genesis 12, when God calls him out and says, I will give you this. I will do this for you. I will, I will bless you. I will curse you. I will do all these things. It hasn't happened yet. But, but after God walked through the animal pieces in verse 17, look what happens in verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I will give. No. He didn't say that, did he? Unto thy seed have I given. That's past tense. Something happened in Genesis 12, I will give, and now all of a sudden, uh, verse 17, God's passing through these animal sacrifices. And now he is saying, now I have given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. I made you a promise, and now it's already done. I already uphold my part of the deal once I pass through those animal sacrifices. Uh, I signed it, sealed it. Delivered it to the clerk of courts to be filed away. Something happened after that ceremony. God says, I will is, has now been transferred to I have given. It's already done. The land deal is complete. The land is yours now. Do you know what that means? That means that every nation on this earth can gather itself together. And march towards Israel. Seven billion people versus ten million. Every nation can gather together. And you know what? They can never take that land from Israel. They can never take that land from Israel. Why? Because one party passed through and made a covenant that day and says, I will forever give it to your land. Boom, it's already done. Can't do anything about it. Can't go back and rechange it and, and revise it. No, they can, they can launch every nuke known to mankind. They're not going to get that land. Nothing to do with them. God made a deal with himself. And verse 17, he passed through and he signed it, said, boom, done. Nobody can do anything about it. They can invade Israel with a 200 million man army. And you know what? They will. Revelation tells us that they will. 
And God, what's going to happen? God's going to slay all of them. 200 million man army coming after Israel, invading Israel. And Revelation 14 says the amount of blood from that slaughter will stretch 200 miles. And it's going to be five feet deep. That's from here to Ocala. Five feet deep of blood from the massacre that's going to happen on that day when all the nations assemble together and say, hey, we're going to come into Israel and we're going to take that, take that land just like that spirit from Babel. We're going to do what we want. We're going to revolt. We're going to rebel against whatever God has to do. And they come and they gather together. This whole world assembles together like it did in Babel. But what happens? They can't do anything about it. Why? Because God passed through those animals and said, hey, that's not going to happen. They're not going to get that land because God gave that land away in Genesis 15 to Abram and his descendants, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. They're trying. They've been trying for years. They just don't get it, do they? All they got to do is go back and read Genesis 12 through 15 and understand the context, understand what's happening, and they could just realize this ain't happening, folks. They have a better shot of blowing the earth up because heaven and earth shall pass away. My words is not going to pass away. You can blow up the earth. They're still not getting the land. I'll leave, I'll leave the chunk of Israel right there. You ain't going to get that. The whole world will crumble, but I'll leave Israel right there. Why? Because God made a promise. Because the king said something, and the king declared it. And where the king's word is, there is power. And so I ask you tonight, what promises has the king given to you? What promises has a king spoken in your life? What blessings have been given to you? What still has yet to come to pass? I'm here to say if God said it, it's going to happen. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can pre prevent it. Revival's going to happen, and outpouring is going to happen. Why? The Word of God declares it, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it because we are already on his side. We are on the victorious side and don't listen to any prince of this world. Don't listen to what they say, what they try to deceive you with, these deceitful princes of this world. We got a king. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's who we're going to listen to. That's who we're going to go to. That's who we're going to praise. We're going to praise the king. We're going to exalt the name of the king, our God, Jesus. We're going to worship him. And so, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Come on, let's worship him tonight. Let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We know you're good on your word, God. Help us, Lord. Help our faith. Help our unbelief. Come on. Let's worship him like it's already done. Let's worship him like the backsliders have already come through. Because if God has spoken it, guess what? It's going to happen. We're going to see the revival. We're going to see the outpouring simply because God spoke it. Hallelujah. Let's worship him tonight. Worship him like it's already happened. Worship him like you've already been healed. Worship Him. You've already been delivered. Because His Word has declared it. We're going to worship Him. Hallelujah. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Oh, we're not going to wait. 
We're going to start right now. It's a good time to worship him. Like it's already done. I just wanna be with you. Thank you, Lord, for my healing. Thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. Thank you, Lord, for saving my family. Yes, thank you, Jesus, for making a way. We're gonna stand upon your word. Hallelujah, Jesus. I just wanna be with you. Hallelujah. Worship him like it's already done. Give him praise. Let's thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. You declared it. It's not going to return void. We have a promise. We have a word to stand upon. By your stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. The blinded eyes will be open. The deaf ears open, unlocked. Hallelujah. We have something to stand upon, the word of God. Nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of. Jesus, thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your promises. Our yea and amen. Thank you, Jesus. We can stand upon your word. We can believe it and hold it and hide it in our hearts, God, that your kingdom may come to this earth, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for, not just what God has already done in our life and where he's brought us from, but there's so many promises that are in the word of God that are yet to come. And because of that, we're blessed. We don't need to get stuck on, on the here and now, but if you keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on ahead, what's coming, amen, it doesn't matter what's going to happen in this world. We're, we're blessed and we got a better place to go, right? Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and Go and talk about the kingdom of God. Show them what it's like to be in the kingdom.